if an agent's doing $10 million a year on average and they they retire and move into the succession plan, you can probably expect three and a third million dollars of, of closed business in the first year uh, that you'd be paying referrals on. And then you see slight decline year over year in that. You're listening to In the House with Jenny Woon and Tony Singh, your West Coast real estate agents, a personal and professional development podcast for the everyday working woman. Gain proven business building tools and actionable strategies to maximize profitability. Here's your host, Jenny and Tony. Hey guys and ladies, if you're a real estate agent thinking about retirement or you're an active agent, you're ready to take your real estate business to the next level, and you really want to set yourself apart from any other agent that's in the industry, well, this is the episode you have to listen to. Tony and I just interviewed Justin and Jessica Ball. They are the authors of this new book, Succession Planning for Real Estate Agents, Monetizing Your Business in Retirement, available on Amazon. Tony, did you take Mm -hmm. like pretty much everything that they talked to us about is all new information to me. Okay. I always wondered why agents that had decided they were going to retire had not set up a plan in advance. Mm -hmm. So it was perfect timing to have this wonderful team on our podcast because it just makes financial sense. And it's it's a win-win-win, right? For the realtor who's going out of the business and the realtor who would be their successor. And mm-hmm. it also benefits the clients as well, right? Because you don't want to leave them hanging. So I think that it's a great conversation with this book that the balls have. I'm going to read it because it sounds like It definitely provides blueprints and potential contracts and a starting point to engage in these conversations so that everyone can be successful. What you're really getting out of this book are actual contract examples of like all the different succession plans that are available and suggestions on team structures, tactics on co-marketing, co-branding. They also talk about methods on building your business so you both can increase your earnings while you're in retirement, but also if you're an active agent, how that looks like when you're trying to pass those leads on in a very professional way to have continuity in both sides of like conversation. So if you're an agent Mm -hmm. who's been working in the business for 30 years and you still really care for your clients, you want to pass them on to somebody who will also care for them the same way. And this is what they emphasized, Jessica and Justin, on on the podcast was that often, you know, you may want to try to sell your database in a lump sum amount, but in a way, the best case scenario, the best success for this is actually a smoother transition of like a referral network of like continuously trying to network and make connections, maybe for the first one or two years um, as you're exiting the retirement and passing this lead on onto the successor. So, so many great tips in this show. And again, to reach out to them, their Instagram handle is Jessica Ball Homes. Their website address is real estate. So resuccession.com. Yeah, so much great information. I'm definitely going to apply some of this right away. So let's tune in to this episode uh, featuring Justin and Jessica Ball. Good morning, everyone. I'm Jenny Woon with In-House Podcast. I'm Tony Singh, and we have two very special guests today joining us from Illinois, USA. 
Justin and Jessica Ball. Hey guys, how's it going? Good morning. Good to be joining you. Hello. Hi there. So right before we started, you guys were mentioning what your benchmark price was. And Tony and my jaw dropped compared (laughs) to what our prices are. So why don't we tell our listeners or why don't you guys share with the listeners about your business and how you guys became partners and, and realtors in the business? Yeah, absolutely. So we are married. We are Justin and Jessica Ball, and we did not start out as partners in the business to begin with. I've been a licensed real estate agent uh, for a little over five years. I was in law enforcement actually for a decade prior to that and then made the jump into real estate. Uh, And Justin was just kind of my at-home backup, all things assistant for for a while when I started um, and jumped in and helped me anytime I needed it on anything. And we have, uh, I have a team as well. I'm a team lead. So I have a couple other agents and assistants that work for us as well. And then I'll let Justin talk about how he got started in the business uh, officially. But to uh, answer your uh, what you were talking about at the beginning about our average sales price and our market here, we are in um, central Illinois, basically equal distance between Chicago and St. Louis. Both are, are just shy of three hours, uh, so right in the middle of the state. And our average sales price for our market is $150,000. And that will get you, I mean, that'll get you a a three-bedroom, two-bath house with a garage, um, little yard. I mean, that that actually gets you quite a bit uh, here. And um, (laughs) that's amazing. It is. It's it's a great, really affordable market, great for investors as well, which kind of is the segue for for Justin to talk about how he got started with us. Yeah. So I've been a long-term real estate investor. Like Jessica said, I was a, a highly desirable, unpaid, unlicensed assistant before formally getting my real estate license especially with the work I was doing, helping out-of-state investors and helping investors even in the Peoria area with multifamily investments. And now after getting my uh, realtor's license a few years ago with commercial properties, and we have a lot of high demand right now for multifamily investment properties, as well as warehouse spaces with the expansion of supply chain and logistics in the Midwest. And um, Jessica has worked through several succession plans with residential realtors, and together we are working through a succession plan with the top commercial agent in our region for Remax right now. So we have our hands really full between residential real estate, the team expanding our commercial real estate business, and then our own investments in real estate. You guys are covering both aspects here. Um, when you were, when you still are an investor before you you were a realtor, um, were you investing in commercial space? Is that why you've decided to specialize in that? I think I'm more of a numbers person. Jessica has a lot of empathy to work with uh, homeowners through the process of, of finding the perfect home or helping them sell their home. And I am much more numbers oriented, uh, work very well with bankers and, and speak the language of accounting very well. And uh, the Midwest uh, here in our region is a very popular place for investors. And so having been an investor myself, it lends itself really well to helping out-of-state investors and lining up property managers. We have some investments of our own in small residential, single-family homes, duplexes, triplexes, as well as some commercial uh, real estate and small industrial real estate here in the region. Mm -hmm. What's the vacancy rate over there? The vacancy rate right now for warehouses is is very, very low. So I would say we're probably at 
in the high 90% for industrial commercial properties being full, but it really depends on their location, just like all real estate, it's, it's location, location, location. And so um, we're really seeing commercial properties thrive and move on the market right now, but we're also seeing some with less desirable locations or less cooperations between landlords and tenants on things like build outs are really items that are holding up the process for those commercial properties that are sitting vacant. Justin, I, I have a question. If someone was going to invest in a multifamily building, like they wanted to buy the entire building, it was maybe zoned for residential in a good area, perhaps one that's still serviced by a lot of different businesses and that kind of thing, walkable. On average, what are those selling for or what what would the cap rate be? Sure. Cap rates here, I would say run anywhere from the mid sevens to the high nines in a sense. And so then we're seeing kind of cash on cash returns for people who are buying businesses outright, probably in the five or 6% range, or for those that are leveraged with a commercial loan, probably in the 11 to 16% cash on cash return range. And uh, I think we had, we had chatted about this earlier, but our market and our region in the Midwest in particular sees very, very low appreciation. And so we are blessed to have really good cash flow on commercial properties and multifamily investments, but very low appreciation. And so the opportunities for investors is not really to, to buy and then to sell, but it is to buy and hold and increase income and um, stabilized cap rates. And, and we're seeing a lot of competition from out-of-state investors for our multifamily investments right now and for good commercial investments. Uh, right now. So shameless uh, promotion, if you are an out-of-state investor interested in cash flowing properties in the Midwest, maybe to balance out your portfolio or expand cash flow, you can go to cashflowillinois.com, which is our website where we feature single family homes and small multifamily projects. Um, but certainly there are um, apartment complexes and, and larger mixed use facilities that are available uh, for investors looking to invest in this region as well. Perfect. Since you do have like a large portfolio of investors, do you also help them manage it or do you outsource that for your clients? We outsource that. Yeah, we hook them up with uh, property management companies that are here locally that do that. Mm -hmm. And what are what um, exactly is drawing like owner occupiers and investors into that city? I would say we're we're kind of a hidden gem here in Peoria. You think, oh gosh, it's Illinois, there's winters, there's just cornfields everywhere, which is true. We have that. But we also we're we're a mid-sized city here. And so, you know, we still get all the the concerts and there's activities and there's farmer markets multiple days a week, and there's a river and we have lakes and there's all sorts of activities, all sorts of fun stuff. And there's not really a commute. So if something is 20 minutes away, it's legit 20 minutes away, not stuck in traffic. And, and so parking is, is not an issue here, uh, which is just kind of fun because people can can get around and do a lot more and, and make the use of their, their time. A lot of people move to the area, I would say, kind of to get their time back. I've heard mm -hmm. a lot of people say they spend so much time in traffic. They spend so much time, you know, just at working to pay towards their mortgages, where here it's just very affordable. You know, time is, is you know, it, it really, I mean, if when I have clients that say, hey, I really want to buy a house within 30 minutes of my work, I'm like, that's a five-county radius. <laughs> like, we've got lots 
for you here. (laughs) You know, it, it, it gives a lot of options to people that they probably don't have in other cities and locations. And I think that's what's the draw and the seasons. We get a lot of people that are like, I just want seasons. I don't want one temperature for, you know, the whole year. I really want the change in the seasons. Our area is about 375,000 people in the, the metro Peoria area, and it is one of the largest hospital systems per capita. So we service immense amounts of very specialized medical fields for everybody, uh, the millions of people who live between Chicago and St. Louis, and very specialized area with technology and medical engineering, children's hospitals, cancer research hospitals, a large Ronald McDonald House uh, charities that I'm a part of just because of the nature of how many people access this area for healthcare opportunities and specializations. And we attract doctors and medical practitioners from all over the world uh, to Peoria for those specialized healthcare operations. And then we are also a national, just, uh, you know, since you asked the question, um, a national um, destination for duck hunting mm. and for deer hunting. No way. And so we have recreational land use where mm-hmm. people literally buy land to hunt on and people who come into our area and come into our region specifically to hunt. We also have USDA lab as well. So we're kind of a research and innovation hub in the area too. I've never heard so much about Peoria, Illinois before. It's good to know. No, it's good to know about the marketplace, right? Especially for investors. Why would they want to invest there? And I guess so the real reason, aside from all these also multifaceted businesses that you guys are looking after, we wanted to have you on the podcast to to discuss your book, which we're going to get to. But I think Jenny would like to ask you the icebreaker question first. Oh, yeah. What is one strength or superpower that your partner brings to the table each and every day? Jessica brings an incredible sense of empathy and patience, even when it's very clear to me that, and to her that her clients are ready to buy or sell a house. She does a great job of working through the emotional ups and downs of the process to help reaffirm their decisions when they are the right decisions or guide them differences. Jessica, I want you to answer for Justin. So the exact opposite, we don't let him near residential clients because lack of empathy, Um, but where his superpower is, I mean, when it comes to numbers and spreadsheets and just the like pure, like logistics of something, he can see through all of that where I may be caught up more in the emotional and the empathy of it. And he's just like, it is clear as day from a number standpoint. This is the answer. Uh, And so it totally gets me out of that, you know, funk of thinking, you know, oh, but this and that, and I feel so bad about this. Or, you know, he's like, nope, you're absolved. Here's the numbers. (laughs) Awesome. Okay. Well, let's get to your guys' book because it's a super hot topic. Uh, Succession planning for real estate agents, monetizing your business in retirement. Justin, how did the book come about? Sure. Well, that's really a good question for Jessica. I'll let her talk about how we started and then I'll dive into the details. I would say probably a year after I got into the business, I kept getting, and I'm sure the listeners out there can probably relate to this, where you get that email and it says, well, so-and-so is retiring. Um, There's going to be cake in the community room. Come say your farewells to them. Mm -hmm. And uh, by the way, they're going to sell a couple of signs. If you want a sign or a writer or an open house sign, you know, they're selling them for 20 bucks each. Mm -hmm. And my thought would be, 
Well, what happened to their clients? I mean, we all have those clients that are like, hey, now's not a good time, but next spring I'm going to sell. Or, hey, call me in a month. Or, you know, their pipeline. Everyone has a pipeline. So my thought would be, who's got their pipeline? Where is that going? And so it actually prompted me to talk to a few of them and, and ask what, what are your plans? Do you have someone that's helping take over those clients that you have in the pipeline? And I got an array of different answers. And, and from that, we realized people are doing succession planning and, and having people take over their business at all different levels, some formally, some informally, uh, some just, hey, if, if this person calls, I'm just going to have them call you and you just take care of them. Other times it was more formal where people, you know, paid a large sum of money to get that client base. And other times it was a hybrid. A lot of people had no plan though. And money is being left on the table for everybody Mm -hmm. when that happens. And so that's when we really sat down and, and we were trying to figure out, well, I would like to grow my business as a newer agent. And I think that working with a retiring agent to do that and grab a hold of their sphere and and go along with them as they retire is a great way to do it. But we weren't finding the resources out there on how-to guides and what are best practices for what works. What should you not do? What should you look out for? We weren't really finding that. And so we did interviews and, and took notes. And by the end of it, we realized... We have enough for a book, so we should do that so that other people don't have to go through, you know, the the searching and finding and research that we did. And and when it's when a succession planning is done, it benefits the the agent that is the successor. It benefits the person who's leaving the business. Mm. It could be a leaving as a trailing spouse, could be leaving due to illness. I mean, anything. And then it also, the broker owners, to keep that business still in-house. So it's a win-win for everybody um, and the clients because they're getting a continuity of service that is is kind of up for grabs, honestly, if an agent just closes their book of business and doesn't have a plan for those clients. Mm -hmm. So it really does sound like it's a succession planning for dummies. Like it's it really spells out strategic and practical frameworks, really, for us to apply into how to exit into this outside of this business. So what can someone expect when they open the book? What can they expect to to read? Are they getting like real examples, contract, like legal terms that they need to to include into their contract? So what, um, yeah, like what would be like the three main points? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll let Justin talk about that. First thing is first chapter, you're going to get hit with his statistics. But then after that... (laughs) Yeah. I had worked in higher ed and work in higher education. And so, uh, you know, if this had been my first shot and first stab at things, it would read like a textbook. But luckily, we had a wonderful editor and publisher who really took this and tried to make it a short book that's a strategy guide. So someone who is thinking about retiring or someone who is thinking about partnering with a retiring agent can pick up this book and in a few hours read through it and literally have a checklist of here are the steps that I need to take to ensure a good succession plan happens. And I think as we started to research it, it was staggering the numbers. And I I don't have the numbers for Canada. I only have them for the United States. But we have over 300,000 real estate agents and realtors in the United States actively selling who are over the age of 60. 
And just about 65,000 of them in the survey of realtors said they don't plan to be working in the next 24 months. And it was also really yeah. shocking how many of the people who were not 60, who were in that maybe 40 to 60 age group and, and had been selling real estate for five to 20 years, said they may not be in the industry and the business in the next 24 months. And so there is a huge amount of opportunity for agents out there to, to go through succession planning. And our goal was really to start at the very beginning from chapter one and say, how do you find and identify someone who might be a really good um, retiring agent to be the successor to? Uh, or if you're a retiring agent, what should you look for in a potential successor? And I think the to, to sum that up really quickly, it is uh, your managing broker should know the people who are within your brokerage and be able to recommend and connect people. Or there are probably people that you see around the office who you say, I have a really similar style. They live, eat, and, and sleep spreadsheets. And mm. That's what their clients expect from them. Or, uh, you know, in, in Jessica's case, these are agents who love to go and sit around someone's dining room table and have a conversation about their worries and their fears of selling their home and uh, downsizing and uh, working with them through that to identify someone who would be a really good match. And uh, literally chapter by chapter, mm. go through and talk about how do you create a contractual arrangement for paying out the referral fees on those succession plans? How do you join a agency for hanging your license when you're an inactive agent if you're retiring so you can still continue to receive commissions? How do we go about uh, rolling over your database? How do we co-market uh, while they're still an agent and co-brand after their agents? And what are the steps of working through that process? And so uh, we are not lawyers uh, or, or accountants by trade, uh, you know, certified for those things. But we include example contracts for what does it look like when you want to become a legitimate partner with a retiring agent for a while? What does it look like when someone simply says, I'm closing the door, here's access to my database and my book of business? And what does it look like when someone says, I want to stop selling in the next two years? And how do you build a transition and succession plan to really at the core, build their client's trust in you as the successor? Both Tony and I are actually broker owners. So this is a fantastic uh, eye-opener of what we should be looking out for because after all, we are looking after our agents. And so thank you so much for bringing that to our attention, actually. One of my questions is, which you almost already answered, is the 24 months leading up to the retirement. I know that a lot of agents tend to have a hard time letting go, you know, as most most of us type A agents, I would say, like to take control, like to take the lead all the time. And so the idea of letting go their business is probably take, takes a long time. So would you say that it does overall kind of average 24 months is a good time to really start thinking and planning out, like cleaning up your database and co-branding as you had mentioned? Yeah. So would you say that that's kind of like a very fair or good time to to start thinking about that? I think when you when you would say what is the ideal timeline, two to three years is a really good amount of time to create a great relationship uh, with the retiring agent to learn their business style that their clients expect 
to co-brand so that their clients and their sphere of influence starts to see you as the successor and the retiring agent together as a collaboration and to build that trust and then to also allow that retiree time to kind of migrate out of the business at a rate they're comfortable with and then to actually have a smooth takeover date and time commitment. And I think for a lot of retirees, it's easy to set that date and it's really hard to keep that date. And so to be able to mutually agree and contractually agree that there's a date in the future, whether it's you know 18 months or whether it's the, the full three years, if you have that opportunity, it's a long runway for people to be prepared in terms of their database and their supplies and to change over signs. And it's a really good runway to be mentally prepared for this date is approaching. I am stopping selling real estate. I'm putting my trust and my clients in the hands of my successor and um, to to deal with the, the emotions that are associated with retiring and stopping selling and uh, then to execute on that actual date. Can you share the actual percentage uh, or breakdown of, of how much the retired agent would get for the referral? I would say it, it depends. And I, I would say what we have done is we have structured it where I think that it's a little bit different for each agent, but I want to say Jim Barr, for example, he's at uh, 30%. So if he would call me and say, Jessica, I've got uh, a client here, past client, they would like to sell now. And so I told them you would call them this afternoon. And I said, okay, great. So I give them a call. They're already expecting my call. I'm they, They're teed up to hear from me. And so the nice thing is, for one, we're not going in and competing on listings or, you know, for anything like that, because they literally have just been told this agent's going to call you and list your house uh, by the person that they trust uh, and have trusted for the last, you know, however many years. And so then I go through the process, get the house listed, sold. And then when it comes time to commission, then I keep 70% and he takes 30%. And then obviously whatever splits come out of the agencies and things like that happen. But it's usually, I would say from what we personally do and then what we have seen with other people doing this as well in our research, anywhere between 25 and 35%, I would say it it also kind of depends. I know right now with our commercial properties that we're doing, uh, our commercial agent that we're doing a succession plan with is still very, very much involved in a lot of the transactions. So some of those we're doing, you know, 50-50 and it just kind of depends. And there's a lot of upfront signage cost with commercial also. So it's kind of whoever's going to take that cost, you know, get more at the end of it. And and so it's definitely something to work out in those details with the contract. And then not be afraid to re-sit down and go over the contract from time to time and see if it needs to be adjusted based on some of those expenses. Jenny, I think, you know, if I had to say, here's a generic framework, we would recommend or we advise as you look at the contract examples in the book that a succession plan should generally be paid out for three years. And that the first year, roughly that 30% kind of area and then a decreasing mm-hmm. amount um, year over year. And so whether that's you know, 30, 25, 20, or whether it's 25, 20, 15, what we really see is that the ability and the, the kind of return on investment for that successor 
is the highest in the first year. When when you've put a lot of time and energy into it, the, the retiree is still well known in the community. You still have their, literally their clients who you have just rolled over to you and you still have the searches that are running in the background to service them. They're engaged in your newsletters. And just through kind of the, the process of attrition, uh, you see that sphere of influence grow smaller over the course of year two and year three. And so, uh, you know, certainly you want to reward and make it profitable for the retiring agent um, if they've done the due diligence and they're they're an active partner for three years worth of referrals. If it's literally just kind of dropping the book of business in your lap, in a sense, as, as they exit, maybe you have a plan that's only one uh, or two years. But, you know, the best case scenario is we've talked to agents and, and successors and, and retirees is that you have a really good, strong relationship because they will still continue to get Facebook messages and go to family reunions and generate referrals. Yeah. And we want them as engaged as possible for as long as possible until they really say, hey, we're moving to Florida or Texas and we're cutting the cord. I'm literally just going to text you voicemails uh, of people that leave them for me about buying and selling houses. But again, at 70-30 uh, is a really good split point and um, you, you see some natural attrition. One of the things we write about in the book is to say... You can usually expect a retiree's book of business to do about one third of the volume it's historically done in the first year, and then it decreases a little bit after that. So if an agent's doing $10 million a year on average, and they they retire and move into the succession plan, you can probably expect three and a third million dollars of, of closed business in the first year uh, that you'd be paying referrals on, and then you see slight decline year over year in that. But that really depends on the strength of their database and the strength of their relationship. You know, everybody has their A-list clients and their B-list clients and then just the names that are in a database mm -hmm. uh, that maybe they haven't met or maybe were from an open house or, or something out there. And those carry a lot less value than, you know, my clients who are investors who buy their rental properties through me regularly as they expand their investment portfolio. Is there a common way to deal with, like in the case of Jim Barr, for example, because he was one of the first people you took over from, if you had dealt with one of his clients directly and you have the 70-30 split, let's just say, and that client who you ended up helping referred you additional business, is there a common way to deal with referrals from the previous client book? If the referral comes from that client? Absolutely, Tony. So that's something we write into the contracts. Just like a team mm -hmm. leader, uh, you all have the experience of this of saying, you know, these are the team leaders' clients and these are the team members' clients. Mm -hmm. And how do you deal with referrals from past clients there or family members or them buying their own properties? We spell those out in the contract of uh, whether it's just the people you refer directly, whether we pay a commission on anyone in your database or whether we pay a commission on referrals from people in your database that's in there. And it's important to be fair and to set good expectations to keep a really good relationship going. And so um, some people have wanted to delve into that level. Some people who are more hands-off don't want to, to delve into there. And it's just the you know the, the top 500 people that they give you from their database that they're active with. And we've even had people that we delve deeper into to say, hey, when you go to sell your investment portfolio that you're leaving behind, um, we mm -hmm. will negotiate this prepaid commission rate um, on helping you to sell those or to buy those investments from you uh, at a negotiated rate. Well, you can see how 
important it would be to be very clear in the contract with the expectations and transparent on both sides, right? Just so all of the relationships remain positive and intact. So that's great. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to read the book, guys. Good. <laughs> I, I hope it's really tactical and, and good for you. And I think that even broker owners have a great opportunity as there are other broker owners who are retiring and um, even your own agents who are retiring that you want to set up a succession plan for internal to your teams because you want to keep their book of business and their business within your team. Absolutely. Yeah. And to play off of Tony's question as well, but the referral, helping and and closing that of the first deal with the lead from that book that's been passed over, if it comes into like a second or third deal, fourth deal, obviously, again, case by case and what whatever you've negotiated with the retired agent and the successor as, as well. So it, I guess it's, uh, again, what works for, for everybody, right? Um, if I can you know, add you've that. done... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. So, and I think that's why it's important to keep the contract links not for too many years because after a while, if you're doing a good job of nurturing this database, it becomes kind of convoluted whose client is whose. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I would say, particularly in a smaller market like we are, a lot of times you're it's people you already know and 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 you're you're going to come across them and and some overlap in the spheres to begin with and so i do think that keeping you know the contracts on a shorter year basis a couple of years at at most is important because it does get to a point where it's like well i see that person weekly they're they're kind mm-hmm. of you know in my sphere, uh, yet they're on this person's list. So that's why I the transparency and the the honesty and and everything is so important on that. And and then also maybe it's better off to do a shorter, um, but maybe you know one year, but a higher degree of split. If someone's going to be you know particularly concerned about that, maybe it just needs to be one year, but a higher split for that year. Or you know there's ways to depending on personalities make it so everyone feels comfortable and like they're getting the fair shake of it. So it also sounds like just because we're talking, it is getting a little bit convoluted, right? We're talking about what would happen if it was referral from X, Y, and Z, and now they're part of your sphere. It sounds like another important success mechanism for succession planning and um, these contracts is also perhaps having a really good CRM to track, I would imagine, right? To track where the referral or the client has come from and what year you actually did business with them. I think this is one of the most important things, Tony, and you really found it. While while you are essentially investing in a succession plan, you are buying a book of business and not so many words at the same time. And so the, the ideal situation is that someone has a CRM where you can export all of their leads that have, have responded or, or been nurtured or opened emails or had phone calls or closed business in the past five years, load them into the successor's CRM and, and tag them as Jim Barr's clients for our purposes. The worst case scenario is someone has a file cabinet um, full of 20 years of transactions and we have to rebuild it from brokerage <laughs> records uh, or their Rolodex or... Um, There's a lot of those guys. There is. And one of the uh, <laughs> part of our contract with, with Jim was we shared an admin and she did about 10 to 15 hours a week just with his database, getting it into a format that we could then 
import that he could export, we could import. And so we wow. shared the cost of, of an admin to do that. And so that's where you got to get, you know, creative also and just, all right, what mm. we, we both want to make this happen. How can we make this happen? And I think as agents, you know, that's why we're agents because we have creative solutions for getting deals together. And so you got to use those skills in getting these contracts and these uh, essentially deals together as well. I think it's it's mm-hmm. funny, you know, some of the data from the National Association of Realtors is that for those agents who have 16 or more years of experience, more than 70% of their closed business is from referral. And uh, if you read into that more deeply, mm-hmm. 70% comes directly to their cell phone. And uh, it may not be nurtured leads. It may not be, uh, you know, people who are even in their database because they're homes that were sold 10 years ago, and they, they've continued to be um, good about sending them calendars or inviting them to client events and things. And so working on having a sufficient enough database to give to the successor to be able to continue the business is really foundational because, again, otherwise you're just working from referrals from the retiring agent as opposed to taking on their sphere of influence, which is always the highest goal. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. how about your own business? What percentage of your business is coming from referrals and your sphere of influence versus the leads that have come from your, the plant, the succession plans you've taken over? I I, I heard from another podcast that you've taken over three so far. Am I correct? Yes. Wow. Yeah. We're on our third succession. I would say the in the first one and the third one have been the most successful so far. Um, And I will say why the second one, the second one was an agent who basically was just shutting the door, had no plan and was leaving the state. And so I literally was like, can I have three hours? And we just at least go through your cell phone and go through any current searches you may have set up in our local MLS uh, and at least grab those clients Um, So interestingly, because, and I think this goes to show at least have some sort of plan. I mean, that was three hours. We had three hours. Mm -hmm. And so I am nurturing, I would say probably a dozen of those clients. And I've gone and done showings. I've gone and done some pre-listing work. None of them have bought or sold yet, but we're nurturing them. And so eventually that will happen. But I mean, I'd say we've been nurturing for two years, uh, (laughs) those clients, but they're still, they've been absorbed into my sphere now because they had the stamp of approval from that agent, because I, in that three hours, I made her make some phone calls with me and kind of do an official handoff. With Jim Barr, we are, I would say, I'd have to look at the numbers. We've had an an incredible summer, but I would say maybe 20, 25% the first year was, was Jim's clients. And then I would say in general, we are heavy on the referrals. We don't do a lot of just lead gen to begin with. Um, we just, our sphere and then the sphere of our succession planning uh, is is really what we work off of. I would say we're probably 80-20 when it comes to referrals in general, um, whether that's from our succession, whether that's from our own spheres, because we're out in the community a lot and do a lot of different things. It, we're definitely heavy on the referral side. And on the commercial side, about 75% of our transactions are uh, referrals in our partnership because again we're we're working on a succession plan with someone uh, who was number one in our Remax region and has a huge portfolio 
mm-hmm. of community contacts as being the, the top commercial realtor of choice for a lot of different types of our uh, commercial real estate in the region. And so while I brought some of my uh, multifamily investors to, to my portfolio, a much, a vast majority of it is comprised of the succession plan referrals, uh, the existing listings that were out there and being added as co-listing and other listing agents on them, and then the leads that are coming in directly to the retiring agent uh, that are then passed on to me. Last year, which was, um, if you look at just the residential side, it was myself and one other agent, Amanda, and we did 117 transactions total. Fantastic. Congratulations. Fantastic. (laughs) And so you guys know that age-old saying quality versus quantity. I'm curious, if you were an agent who was going to be looking at taking over a legacy agent's book, um, is there a certain number of COI or sphere that would need to be in that book um, that you would look for in order to consider it profitable? Or is it just about the quality? Because you could have maybe a book of 50 and they're all repeat clients, right? There's a really good quality there. But what about the quantity? Quality. I would say quality. (laughs) Yeah, quality, right? You know, I would go, you know, if I were really investigating it and and doing a deep dive to say, is this a worthwhile activity? It would be to find out what percentage of that a retiring agent's business is generated from referrals. You know, a Mm -hmm. a book of 15,000 is not viable. Uh, They're they're not having cultivated relationships with that. 500 would probably be plenty, I would think, but there may be agents or teams out there who can serve and service uh, a thousand people in their database very, very well. But certainly it would need to be more than 250, but 500 is probably a pretty comfortable place uh, for people they're working with. In the case of Jim Barr, we hosted social events for probably the top 50 people in his sphere. And we literally had a, a happy hour, took them to lunch, and they knew Justin and Jessica uh, were exactly how and what was going on and our faces and had our business cards that were co-branded with Jim in that sense. So it was a really easy handoff. But there are other people who don't know what to expect when uh, we're still taking those referral clients and, and may not have met us, but um, see us on the postcards or had seen us in the emails Mm-hmm. a number of different ways that are out there. But, you know, if somebody said, oh, I've, I've been an agent for 40 years and I'm going to give you my book of business and it's 20,000 people, probably it needs some paring down to say, because <laughs> what you want, again, is to build, to transfer the trust from the retiring agent to the successor agent. So they have to have a relationship and trust that retiring agent if it's going to be a profitable, beneficial uh, transaction in there. For sure. I'm glad that, thank you for answering that. That yeah. makes total sense. Like in your guys' book, if you were to just pick three key takeaways from the book, um, would you be able to summarize your three takeaways? I think I could. I, maybe they're the same yeah. as yours, maybe they're not. The first one would be talk to your managing broker if you're thinking about retiring or would be interested in being the successor to a business. Because a lot of times people aren't walking around saying, Pick me, I would be a great person to to work your business and your sphere of influence in retirement. Or people are feeling out whether it's a time to retire. And a managing broker probably has those relationships to be able to facilitate a connection. The second would be to have a really well-written, thoughtful contract to to meet people's expectations, to not disappoint anybody and, and to not ever sever the relationship 
uh, that you have in those few years. And uh, the third would be realize as a retiring agent or as a successor, you need a structured database for the sphere of influence that you're taking on. It may be a spreadsheet, it may be uh, reconstructed, but it is the responsibility of both parties to have something tangible uh, or, or data-wise to make that transfer because it is the core of the succession plan. Yeah. If someone wanted to actually just sell the book and not get a referral over a course of a year, how do you put a number to that? How do you put an evaluation? I'm going to ask Justin because you're the numbers guy. You bet. <laughs> Uh, I really think you could look at their past three years of sales business, which a lot of times you can find in your MLS. You could times it by uh, 0.33 to get a, a third of what that business is and then figure out what uh, the commission would be on that one third of their business and um, put a number to it. But the the challenge anytime you're just buying that flat book of business for cash is you don't know th- those people may not trust you and they they may not be the the fit that's out there and so we would try and avoid that flat lump sum payment i know historically that's been the way um, some business and, and succession planning was done it's a little different with a brokerage when you can actually calculate some some annual income and put an ebitda multiplier on it and say hey this is the the value of the the business for someone to purchase but in an individual agent, you're you're essentially not buying their book, you're buying their business and their, their trust and their clients. If you want that formula, we have consulting services, so I'm happy to dig into the numbers with someone uh, and help them put a value on it. But in the case that an agent wants something in their retirement immediately, like some kind of lump sum payment, I think we've seen things work out really well where they're given some amount of lump sum payment and then a referral or an incentive in year number two if their book of businesses produce a certain amount of closed business. Because the trick here is people are still mm-hmm. going to call that retiree. They're still going to email that retiree. They're still going to drop their business card around at different places um, that are still in circulation. And their engagement in it is a heavy predictor of success for the, for the plan. We built incentives into the the contract with Jim and it worked out great. I mean, I was never so happy to write that incentive check um, for him. It, it meant that we had gone past uh, the, you know, the, the amount that we had planned on, you know, and it was, hey, if we close this many million, you know, then we're just working off the referral amount. But if we go over this amount, we're going to give you a, a, a lump sum. And he worked hard. I mean, he was he was working his fear uh, to get us to that number because he had a vested interest in, on that, which was, again, I've never been so happy to write a bonus. One thing I wanted to add when you talked about takeaways, because this was a huge fear that I had as an agent, an individual agent, and then having growing my own little team, my thought was I don't want to lose my identity as I am uh, co-marketing, co-branding with another agent. I know that's always a fear when people talk about teams and things like that. And so there is there is definitely different ways to go about this. Um, an example with with Jim was for the year prior to him retiring, every postcard he sent out, every letter he sent out, it also had it had my picture, and it just said, you know, hey, here's my partner Jessica Ball. Here's a picture of us. Here's her contact information. And I wasn't even touching those clients yet. This was just 
for a year, getting them to see my face, my name, and that kind of stuff. His fear assumed I was part of his team. We did not have any formal team. I mean, it was I was still an individual agent. My clients were not getting that, you know, that letter or that um, marketing to them. It was just his clients. Any correspondence with his clients was they were seeing my name and face. And so it was like the subtle, like, this is my partner, you know. And so for a year, they were essentially getting that. And so then when we did start doing more stuff together, his fear was already used to me and seeing me at least, you know, my name and my face. And so it was an easy way for me to be able to still run my business, retain my identity, but then also be introduced as someone that will be working with them. Absolutely. Like an Mm -hmm. infusion or a soft sell in a way without really putting it in your face. Yeah. One of the things Mm -hmm. I was, uh, you mentioned about writing this person a check and and when we're licensed, brokerages will only pay out to licensed agents. So I'm not sure how it works in the States or if every state is different, but are you getting Remax to write the check to the, the retired agent or are you doing it from your own books and then having to calculate it with your accountant at the end of the year? In Illinois and in the United States, to the best of my knowledge, and everybody should check with their their region and uh, license law in their state, but uh, you can only receive commissions as a licensed agent unless you are in a referral or retirement network. And so here in our region, we have a, a dozen different referral retirement networks. And so when we would split a commission, let's say it's a thousand dollars and we're getting seven, 700 of that and 300 of it is going to gym. Our 700 comes through Remax Traders Unlimited, our brokerage, uh, and, and we have splits and commissions and, and annual fees and items. And then Jim's 30% goes to the Peoria Area Referral Network that is a brokerage holding company. And so he keeps his active license, but is... Um, in that referral network, not actively selling, and there's reduced fees and then reduced abilities. Basically, he cannot sell real estate. He may only receive commission Mm -hmm. referrals in that referral or retirement network. So to answer your question, it's going to the brokerage, essentially, that he's hanging his license at, which happens to be Mm -hmm. uh, a referral brokerage locally here. And the brokerage is managed by the Real Estate Association. It depends. So in in Chicago, um, there is actually a referral network that is managed by the Association of Realtors, but there are also privately held referral networks. And so ours is a privately held referral network uh, here, or private brokerage, not a brokerage owned and operated by the Association of Realtors. Um, Awesome. I don't think we have that, Tony. Or I haven't looked into it. We don't, but I'm hearing a great business uh, model here for that. You're on the same yes, page, right? Yes, you and I. Both um, <laughs> oh, love it. Uh, we'll Justin, you it do some, or both of you guys do cons- con- uh, consultation and you offer consultation packages. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us a little bit about that on the side as well. So if, if there are people out there or agents out there who are thinking about retiring and want help in Um, formulating a contract or negotiating that contract with their successor or vice versa, or are looking for support in how to market and brand their their collaboration and their succession plan, uh, we are happy to work with them. We're really excited to be presenting at uh, the California Association of Realtors annual conference 
and speaking to agents there, as well as Remax St. Louis and uh, several groups uh, across the United States. But uh, um, whether it is a, an association who would like us to speak or an individual who wants help in how do we really manage our communications for the year that we're going to be collaborating before the, the retiring agent actually retires, uh, we are help, happy to help individuals all the way up through large groups to better understand succession planning for real estate agents. And are there different, there's different packages for that? We don't. We just uh, do this by the hour. And so you can go to resuccession.com and you can see information about our consulting, speaking. Uh, you can see podcast appearances we've been on and you can buy the book in print, uh, ebook version or audiobook version through amazon.com. I actually yeah, downloaded one uh, this morning. Can't wait to read it. Um, we have a fun little game. Yeah, we actually always round to the top with five rapid fire questions. Who is the more organized one between you? Justin. <laughs> Makes sense. Uh, what are you focusing on as we enter the final quarter of this year? Ooh, well, I would say right now it's very much um, systems and processes. I uh, I just re-listened to your uh, number 93 uh, podcast, which was uh, with the organization Ninja. We, our transaction coordinator of four plus years actually moved out of state. So we've just hired a new one. And so it's really forced me to take a look at our systems? Can we redo any systems? And so that is our focus right now. It's just systems mm -hmm. and processes, I would say. So that way we could ramp up again in quarter one, uh, even though this, it's it's already, yeah. it's, it's a great year. It's going to finish out strong, but we're always looking for the next quarter as well. Awesome. Yeah. That was the episode with Darcy. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good episode. Um, what CRM do you guys actually use? Right now we switched over in February to Brivity. I used I to be with them. Oh, no, actually, we are still with them. We're mm -hmm. using Brivity at the moment. What is one piece of advice you share with someone, you would share with someone who's new in the business? You are a business owner, not a real estate agent. And so you have to think about lead generation, accounting, debits and credits, taxes, uh, mileage, and yeah. all of the things that our business owners think about because what makes a real estate agent successful or a team leader successful is realizing they run a business. Good one. Mm -hmm. And I guess for both of you, if you guys were not in real estate now, what would you be doing? Oh. I would probably <laughs> be a professor. Oh, interesting. In what? Um, business, marketing. Real estate. <laughs> <laughs> Jessica? Uh, that's such a hard one because I made a big career change uh, from law enforcement, mm -hmm, which yeah. is what I went to school for, and then into real estate. And I, I love it. And um, it's opened up the doors a lot for us for other businesses. We're also part owners in a coffee shop. And so, love it. Uh, yeah, I mean, if the door shut on real estate tomorrow, I would go sell coffee. <laughs> Is there something that you guys don't do? <laughs> we don't manage our properties anymore. We outsource that. <laughs> we, we were doing it and, and Jessica Ball, the property manager is no more. I was happily able to, to pass that on and outsource that. 
And final question, <laughs> um, where and how can our listeners find you guys? I know that you mentioned the website. Um, do you guys have an Instagram handle? Yeah, so for the team, so uh, the Jessica Ball team, which houses a lot of our stuff, it is um, our Instagram and our Facebook handle is the same. It's Jessica Ball Homes. And we have links there to, you know, investors. We have links to our book, everything like that. If you're strictly looking um, for uh, the, the book information and, and succession uh, planning, that's resuccession.com. Also at Facebook, it's uh, resuccession. And if you want to find out about more on commercial real estate in the greater Peoria area, you can go to commercialpeoria.com. Well, I wish you guys Fantastic. all the, the lots of fun and uh, success with your uh, speaking engagements that you've already booked in advance here. And to the listeners, again, author of Succession Planning for Real Estate Agents, Monetizing Your Business in Retirement, this is Justin and Jessica Ball. Thank you so much for joining us today. I've learned a lot. I'm sure, Tony, you have a lot of things kind Absolutely. of uh, going on in your mind here on in terms of planning for the future. But uh, we really appreciate you mm-hmm. guys uh, taking the time to speak with us. Thank you so much, Jenny. Thank you so much, Tony. Thank you, guys. Bye. Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you liked what you heard today, you can support our podcast by following us on Instagram at In The House Podcast leaving us Apple and Spotify podcast ratings and reviews, preferably five stars for us. Thank you. And following us on Amazon Music and subscribing to our YouTube channel. We'll see you next week. We hope this has been helpful. Our intention is to unite the industry's most powerful, top-performing women, empower women with aspiring stories, and provide you with tools and actionable strategies so you can apply it to your personal and professional life. Let us know your thoughts. Give us some feedback. We want to connect with you and hear about your journey. It's been a pleasure to have this conversation with you. Until next time.